DiscerningHearts.com presents Beginning to Pray with Dr. Anthony Lillis. Dr. Lillis is an Associate Professor and the Academic Dean of St. John's Seminary in Camarillo, California. He also serves as the Academic Advisor for the Juan Diego House of Priestly Formation for the Archdiocese of Los Angeles. Through the years, clergy, seminarians, religious, and lay faithful have benefited from his lectures and retreat conferences on the Carmelite Doctors of the Church and the writings of St. Elizabeth of the Trinity. He is also the author of Hidden Mountain, Secret Garden, A Theological Contemplation of Prayer. In this series of conversations with Dr. Lillis, we discuss the writings of St. Teresa of Avila, whose spiritual classic, The Way of Perfection, is the source of our current reflection. Beginning to Pray with Dr. Anthony Lillis. I'm your host, Chris McGregor. Anthony, thank you once again for joining me. It's wonderful to be with you, Chris. Thanks for this opportunity to share the beautiful wisdom of Teresa of Avila with you. Especially as brought to us through the way of perfection. Uh, that's right. Uh, the, the way of perfection. We began to explore this in our last few sessions. We kind of come to the end now of some of the preliminary material, and we're getting ready to go into our doctrine and prayer, which in the way of perfection is especially beautiful. What we've been looking at, Chris, up till now, from chapters 1 through 18, she's kind of talking about the things that make space in our lives for deep prayer. And so these things that make space in our life for deep prayer, there's you can divide them in basically three. And she is kind of someone who goes in a lot of different directions in her conversations, so she repeats herself, but never exactly repeating herself those who go through these first 18 chapters will see she is in her repetition. She is developing some ideas in some really powerful ways. But to organize this, the way of perfection, perfection in the Christian life is love, uh, love of God and love of neighbor. Uh, that's the uh, St. Thomas and the Thomistic tradition. We would say that operationally, in terms of action, the perfection of Christian holiness consists in our friendship love of God. And so in these first 18 chapters, she talks about those things that make space in our lives for this love of God to grow. And, and then in 19, which we're about to do today, she begins a, a discussion on the means by which it grows, which is contemplation. So on one hand, you have things that kind of prepare for its growth, and then you have the special means that she's going to advance for the Carmelites for it to grow. Now, so how do we help it grow? And the three things she talks about, as you remember, are poverty, humility, and friendship. In poverty, you could also say detachment from things, either comfort or things that give you a sense of security or control over others. Uh, you can't be driven by those things and be able to live a prayerful life. Honor, you can't be worried about what people think and live a, a prayerful life. Honor, also influence over others, the same kind of thing. But then the third thing, friendship. Friendship is an interesting thing because friendship can be a help for prayer, but it can also be an obstacle to prayer. And Teresa of Avila experienced this herself in her, in her own spiritual life. 
her friendships, she has friendships that helped her grow in prayer and other friendships that held her back until she received a grace of prayer after receiving counsel from Francis Borgia. All of this is in her life. There were friendships that were holding her back because she wasn't pierced to the depths of her heart by the love of God enough. And so these attachments, her way to go beyond those unhealthy relationships that were holding her back was to go deeper into her love of God. In this, she'll talk about that. She'll spend some time on, you know, you need to renounce friendships that are holding you back. You need to recognize that they're holding you back. You need to recognize that it's not the other person's fault that these relationships are holding you back. It's something in you. You're attached to these relationships. You're looking for things in these relationships that the other person it really isn't meant to give you that you're meant to find in God. You're thirsty for something that can only, only God can quench. Once you recognize that, then with detachment from things and from honor, with humility, with kind of renouncing friendships that are not helping you uh, grow closer to God, now you're free for a new kind of friendship, a spiritual friendship. And so in these first 18 chapters of her book, you can kind of say that she gives a very important place to spiritual friendship in our lives and for the life of prayer. What she wants us to understand is that without good friendships in prayer in our lives, the life of prayer is a virtual impossibility. On the other hand, if we go clinging for friendships, the wrong kind of relationships, that's going to be an obstacle too. So how do you get the right kind of friendships in in your life? She gives some practical advice towards that, and it's advice that I think works in marriage too. And the the advice is that the difference between the friendships that help and the friendships that don't is in the friendships that help, you see the goodness or the potential for goodness in the other And you let your heart be drawn by that. And you make it your mission to help that person realize that. Because if they realize that, they become the best they can be. They can become fully who they're meant to be. And the beautiful thing in that is as you're doing that, you become fully whom you're you're meant to be. Vatican II and Lumen Gentium says that the human person is a kind of creature which discovers the truth about itself through an authentic gift of self. Well, just like Vatican II now teaches that, Teresa of Avila, almost 500 years ago, was saying the same thing to her sisters. See the good in your sister and give yourself over to helping that good be realized. See their love of God. See their noble aspirations and help them realize that through your relationship with them. And God is going to be doing something beautiful there. At the same time in that holy friendship, it's been my experience, I've been on both sides of the equation in relationships where I was too needy and in these other relationships where God graced me to be able to be very concerned about the other person and not really very concerned about myself anymore. He let me see this good thing that was going on in them and gave me the grace to be able to help them with this good thing in their heart. And it's a curious thing when that goes on. People are attracted to friendship with you. 
And, and it's an equally curious thing that goes on when you're kind of a little bit more carnal, they would say, spiritually in your relationship, that meaning not so much, it doesn't have to be sexual, it can be emotional. When you're kind of needy and you're, you have these kind of expectations and you find yourself disappointed and frustrated because you're not getting things out of your friendship that you think you need, well, it's time to, to go back and kind of look at, well, now, what impure things am I bringing in? What what kind of trip am I laying on these people? And what tends to happen if you don't do that is you push people away. What Teresa is building up to is she's saying that true solidarity in Christ is what makes space for contemplative prayer. And she's going to go on to help explain through the rest of the book now how contemplative prayer makes true solidarity in Christ possible. Both things, they go hand in hand. You need one for the other and the other for one. No one can become a great contemplative by themselves as an individual. We're all connected with each other. We're all implicated in each other's plight. And Teresa of Avila sees the forming of her communities as providing that network of holy relationships that makes deep intimacy with Christ possible. And so, Chris, this is why these first chapters, I think, are very important for us to begin to reflect on what about our families or our parish communities or the prayer groups we might be in or our network of friends. Are we approaching these these networks of holy relationships in a way that directs everything to Christ? Are we presuming on them in ways we shouldn't? Are we neglectful of them? and not present to them the way those in our lives have a right to expect us to be. These are all questions that these first 18 chapters invite us to consider. And if we consider these things, it's not that we become Carmelite nuns. We're kind of allowing the witness of Carmel to help guide us in living the, the communities that we have the way we ought to be living them. Anthony, do you think it would help also for those who are, enter into the, these first 18 chapters who are thinking, well, okay, but why my friendships with others or how I respond to people or my detaching from all this, what does this have to do with my prayer? Would it be helpful to understand that for Teresa, she did not get this until she was 39 years old. It wasn't until that moment the relationship she understood with Christ, moved from that outside experience to that awareness of, oh my gosh, he's he's in me. Mm-hmm. It is not I who live, but Christ who lives in me. That awareness that I can't escape him, he's mm-hmm. with me. That fostering of that relationship, that would have so much significance because as you've pointed out in the past that in these opening chapters, time and time again she's giving instruction and then she's setting an example of, okay, now look at your wonderful spouse. Look, look at your groom. Look what he sacrificed. She even calls out to the father. Father, look at the, the sacrifice your son gave for you. She's constantly reminding you and the sisters and us who it is is the true friend, who is the, the one we should be connected to. There's a lot of marriages that struggle. Part of the struggle that they are going through is that the husband and the wife 
have expectations of each other that aren't really fair. They want from their spouse what only God can give. And as long as we approach our marriages in this way, you know, what is owed me, what I ought to be getting out of it, as long as we approach any of our relationships, but especially our marriages that way, it's going to be very hard to be faithful and good friends. And marriage is all about friendship. If, on the other hand, strive in our marriage for the spiritual friendship, where we see the beauty and the goodness of this person that God has entrusted to me. You let your heart be pierced by that goodness that's there. All of a sudden, what emerges in your heart is, what can I do to help my spouse realize this wonderful thing that is being brought to birth in them, this wonderful thing that God is accomplishing in them, this thing that is so beautiful it's heartbreaking. You know, it just overwhelms you to see. Then you find yourself on your knees praying to the Lord, begging him for wisdom on how to better love your spouse. And all of a sudden, a relationship that might seem very, very impossible to endure, all of a sudden, nothing is impossible to endure. You will endure all things because the love of Christ compels you and you can't have it any other way. Well, that kind of spiritual friendship, if we strive for that in our marriages, I think it does away with a lot of the the, the deadly narcissism that uh, has has destroyed so many families in our day. So in these first 18 chapters is medicine, but starting in, in chapter 19, she begins a, another conversation, and it's a conversation about prayer. All of this stuff is to make space for prayer, but without prayer, all these things that we're talking about are impossible. And so how can we, if once we begin making space in our lives for prayer, what kind of prayer do we need to engage in so that these things that, that are good for us, that help us flourish, again, kind of poverty detachment from things and comforts and security, and also humility, it isn't so preoccupied with honor and what people think. And then finally, freedom from friendships that hold us back so that we can be free for friendships that can take us closer to the Lord. What kind of prayer do we need so that these things might be strengthened? And that's what she begins to talk about now in chapter 19. We'll return to Beginning to Pray with Dr. Anthony Lillis in just a moment. Did you know that you can obtain a free app which contains all your favorite Discerning Hearts programs? Father Timothy Gallagher, Dr. Anthony Lillis, Archbishop George Lucas, Father Mauritius Fildi, and so many more, including episodes from Inside the Pages, can be obtained on the Discerning Hearts free app. This also includes all the novenas and devotionals and prayers, including the Holy Rosary and Stations of the Cross, the Chaplet of St. Michael, and the Seven Sorrows of Our Lady, all available on the Discerning Hearts free app. Visit the iTunes and Google Play app stores to obtain your free Discerning Hearts app today. A Prayer of St. Ignatius of Loyola 
Take, Lord, and receive all my liberty, my memory, my understanding, and my entire will, all that I have and call my own. You have given all to me. To you, Lord, I return it. Everything is yours. Do with it what you will. Give me only your love and your grace. That is enough for me. Amen. Hello, my name is Deacon Omar Gutierrez, and I want to ask you to support Discerning Hearts in a special way. We, Chris McGregor, the board, and I all know that not everyone listening can help financially. We know we have listeners from all parts of the world, and we have made a commitment since the beginning to make the truths shared through Discerning Hearts totally free. So while you may not be able to contribute financially, what you can do is certainly pray, but also give us positive reviews on whatever platform you use to listen to us. If it's iTunes, Android, Stitcher, Spotify, however it is that you get these podcasts, or if you're on YouTube and you like our videos, please give us a good rating and write a review. The more good ratings and reviews we get, the higher our profile, and the more listeners will discover us, listeners who may have the means to contribute in the future. Please consider rating us and writing a positive review today. We now return to Beginning to Pray with Dr. Anthony Lillis. She's very practical in the way that she will help us to accomplish those things or allow ourselves to to be free of those things. And I'm speaking of her teachings on the virtues. Mm. Again, in a very practical way, she'll say that you may see something lacking in one of the sisters, a, a particular virtue that they need. Maybe they are impatient. And so she says, you exhibit an extreme patience then when you're with her because by watching you could be the way to encourage them. They will be drawn to that act of love, the the virtue. So if you have anger or you're an envy or whatever it is, you do the, the virtue that responds to whatever is lacking in that other person and that becomes attractive to them and teaches them by example. Yeah, the, the other thing, just to keep that very humble, oh, I see, you know, what my spouse needs right now is need to be more forgiving, you know, and because, you know, you're the one who's uh, got the great virtue and your poor spouse is a little project, you know. We sometimes think that way, and that's really childish and selfish and stupid. The reality is we're both works in progress, right? And so we'll both have both, we'll have our strengths and we'll have our weaknesses. My weaknesses are probably far worse than my spouse. I have no idea everything she has to put up with. If I approach it like that, like I really am a shipwreck. I'm filled with misery, uh, all kinds of weaknesses and the wounds of sin that I've committed and that I've self-inflicted through the years. And my poor spouse has to bear with all of that. And the Lord is letting me see this one weakness in my spouse, uh, and I'm acting like it's some great sacrifice to put up with it. Well, it's really, if you look at it right, it, it's really not that at all. Uh, what's really going on is the Lord has allowed you insight into the misery, the ache that is in the person that you love. It's the Lord's will that no one ever suffer an ache or a pain of that interior spiritual pain that they never suffer it alone. You are his instrument to make sure that this person who's been entrusted to you knows that they are not suffering alone. 
so that they might remember their dignity and the greatness of what God has called them to. And, and so your little act of patience with this or that small little weakness that they have compared to your own can make all the difference in the world. This is the pathway, the pathway forward. As spouses, if we're committed to one another's holiness and aware of our own misery and our own brokenness, my spouse isn't really, you know, someone who is kind of, well, I, you know, uh, God gave me a second-hand spouse and uh, from the second-hand store of spouse hunting, and I better just do the best I can with what I got. It's not really that way. God, in his eternal plan, has entrusted you with this, with this creature who is in his image and likeness, who in his eyes is, uh, is precious even to the point that he has shed his blood uh, for and held nothing back. And he's invited you to share in this work of bringing this soul into sanctification. You who are filled with weaknesses and uh, and all kinds of uh, all kinds of wickedness yourself, who are totally unworthy to be doing, you've been invited into this great work of God the Father through His Son Jesus and the power of the Holy Spirit. We can't do this work on our own. It's work that can only be done if we grow in our devotion to the Lord, if we rely on the Lord. And that's why her teaching on prayer becomes so important. It's sounding very much like the little way of St. Therese. Well, the little way of St. Therese is actually Therese of Lisieux, named after Teresa of Avila, sees Teresa of Avila as her great spiritual mother. The little way, in fact, has connection with St. Teresa and St. John of the Cross. But if somebody was to uh, do a study between these first, especially these first 18 chapters of Way of Perfection and compare it to some of the things that Therese of Lisieux is saying in the story of the soul, I think you were, you're right, you would find a lot of connections. Again, this is something that loving someone who is a challenge of being present to those, or maybe more rightly, loving someone who poses a challenge to us. It, it, not that there's maybe nothing necessarily wrong with them, but there might be something in us that is, can I say, ticked off or fosters something and it flares up something. That it's not something that we can do on our own. You need to have that prayer. You need to have the strength of Christ in you, in that relationship of prayer, to be able to help exhibit those virtues, that strength. If we try to do it in our own, if we try to do it all in our head or follow a psychological type of approach to it without the prayer, without the anchoring it in Christ, then in some cases you just may be doomed for failure. Well, this is a, a really important point and again leads us into this doctrine of prayer. What we're going to see and what Teresa of Avila does not claim is that your weaknesses and your foibles and the struggle kind of magically goes away and all of a sudden that happens sometimes. Sometimes there's a moment of victory where something that seemed insurmountable uh, in you, you know, a flash of anger and you think that, oh my gosh, I was going to give in to that and now I just got a grace and prayer and the anger has gone away. Sometimes that happens, but not all the time. Sometimes you need to learn to 
live with the, your weaknesses and brokennesses, your failures. And sometimes in the midst of all that, God is teaching you a new kind of gentleness that isn't so obvious to you at the time. And so you don't have a sense that prayer is doing anything at all. But Teresa of Avila is saying it's doing a great deal of good. And you're aware, you, you don't need to be so aware of uh, what God has accomplished or not accomplished. What you need to be rooted in is your faith in him that he's accomplishing something. Your kind of acceptance of your poverty before God and your neediness of him, even in the face of your failures, that's going to allow God to work through you in a way that you do not understand. You know, we presume that we understand how God is going to work. I need to uh, help somebody uh, whom I love very much learn to be uh, more patient. And so I'm going to exhibit even greater patience so they will learn by my example on how to be a patient person. You know, we think we, we convince ourselves that somehow that's in our power. And what does God usually do? God usually puts you in situations where you completely lose your patience in front of the very person that you thought you were going to teach to be patient. And why does he do that? Well, it's not simply to humiliate you or humble you, although that's probably a good thing too. What he's really trying to do is to make you rely on him, to make you turn to him with greater trust and confidence and not be so self-sufficient and so judgmental. And so he loves you so much, sometimes he allows you to fail in your struggle to love somebody else. If we root ourselves in prayer, that kind of thing doesn't stop. In fact, it increases. You find yourself in a certain way, you become, uh, you feel like you're failing more and more the more you grow in prayer. And it's not that you're failing more and more. You're becoming, for the first time in your life maybe, aware of how much you fail. Uh, and it, so the, ex the experience of it is that I'm failing more. But what's really going on is that for the first time in your life, you're realizing how much you need God. And this is what Teresa of Avila wants us to grow in. If we uh, become aware of how much we need God and come to desire him more and more, God can give himself to us in more and more mysterious ways. And it's that that makes all the difference. And, and ultimately, it will lead us to that listening in what we will call a discernment, that because of that prayer, in dealing with that person, because you're so anchored in prayer, you begin to know whether or not how you can respond, if you are to respond, or maybe or you realize something in yourself and you have to let go. You know, it's, it's when you turn first in that and listen to that, can be obedient in that. She never wants you to walk alone. She wants you to go, as she would put it, to a confessor or that's or other spiritual friends that you've surrounded yourself for guidance and help. I mean, she wouldn't have you have to endure this all alone, would she? No. Our actual prayer with the Lord is kind of, there's a solitude in that. In other words, there's a way in which I have to go into prayer. No one can uh, encounter the Lord for me. I need to encounter him myself. But all the struggles and the things that go on around preparing me to encounter the Lord and helping me unpack 
what has happened in my encounter with the Lord. You're right. I mentioned we spend a lot of time today on holy friendships, uh, but there's also confessors and spiritual directors and other kinds of uh, spiritual accompaniment. And the Lord sends them into your, all these different people into your life in different ways. And they're all a blessing to you, you know, uh, if we open our hearts to these gifts and they help you get through. Part of what they do is they put you, they help you get in touch with two things that she talks about in chapter 19. On one hand, it, these holy friendships, if we pursue them right, put us in touch with our thirst for God, our need for God. To help us understand our need for God, Teresa of Avila uses the image of water and thirst. We thirst for God. We need him. We desire him because he desires us. His desire for us has produced our desire for him. And in fact, our desire for him is just a faint echo of the deep yearning that he has for communion with us. And it's a curious thing because he has this deep yearning without being diminished for not yet having realized communion with us. He's perfect in every way and content in every way. And yet this yearning that he has for us is greater than our, our yearning for him. And we're not content in every way and we're not perfect. So it's, it's a curious kind of mysterious paradox, but for prayer to grow, this desire needs to grow. And at the same time that that's true, uh, this desire or this burning for God or what you might call eros, on one hand, there's also God's love, the fire of God's love. God's love for us meant to burn in us. And so God wants to quench our thirst, but he also wants to set our hearts on fire. He wants to quench our thirst, our desire for him in a way that makes us desire for him more and more and more. And at the same time, this desire for him makes greater and greater space for this flame of his love to be burning in our hearts. John of the Cross, in fact, is going to pick up the same image of fire burning in our hearts and use it in his poem, Living Flame of Love, his great spiritual masterpiece, in a way has a profound connection with this particular work, The Way of Perfection. It must have been something that Teresa and John spoke with each other about, this mysterious flame that is from above, that is in the heart of the Trinity, burns in us in such wise that where the fire of God uh, begins and where the fire he ignited in our nature ends, you can't see it. It's kind of continuous you know, and so that when people see you, they see the love of God. When they search for the love of God, they find you. It's a curious thing. But what makes space for that, for that kind of fire to burn in our hearts, is for us to grow in our desire for God. And there's a way in which everything that she said up until this chapter is all about putting us in touch and waking up in us and making space in our hearts for this desire for God to grow. And uh, this water, she says, this is like water. The more you drink this water, the greater this desire becomes. And the greater this desire becomes, the more of this water, the more, uh, the more we can burn with the fire of his love. This is a profound image, a mixture of water and fire as the images of mental prayer. 
You've been listening to Beginning to Pray with Dr. Anthony Lewis. To hear and or to download this conversation, along with many others, go to discerninghearts.com. This has been a production of Discerning Hearts. I'm your host, Chris McGregor. We hope that if this has been helpful for you, that you will first pray for our mission. And if you feel us worthy, consider a charitable donation, which is fully tax-deductible, to support our efforts. Most of all, we pray that you will tell a friend about DiscerningHearts.com and join us next time for Beginning to Pray with Dr. Anthony Lewis.